Hello, Brandon Sanderson readers. Uh, welcome back to the Cosmere after a brief diversion to read the Reckoner series. Today we're talking Elantris, but you'll notice that the title is actually Elantris again. We did an episode quite a while ago on this subject. It's episode number 47. It's me talking with a first-time reader who actually preferred Elantris over Mistborn. Uh, anyway, you can hit up our archive on your podcast app or go to thelegendariumpodcast.com. And now that that's out of the way, welcome to The Legendarium. Hey, this is Brandon Sanderson, author of Mistborn. Welcome to The Legendarium. Welcome, everyone, to episode 96 of the Legendarium podcast. Today we're talking about Elantris, and it's a very, very exciting uh, episode for us because we're finally back in the Cosmere. Ryan, I know you're excited. I love the Cosmere. I should actually probably introduce you guys first. Uh, Well, they say life's a stage, so you'd think actually being on stage would give him more of a life, but you'd be wrong. It's Ryan Bruckman. This is very true. I can't do anything. I always have rehearsal. And he's smarter than your average bear, but dumber than your average Kardashian. It's Jeff Inch. Hey, Jeff. Hello. Yeah, sorry I insulted you. statements have never been said. Well, I bet that's not true. And I'm Craig Hanks. I'm terribly afraid of heights, but I actually conquered that fear yesterday. Um, You stood up on a chair. I stood on a chair. (laughs) No, um, so I went to Lagoon, which is the local uh, Amusement uh, amusement park here, and I rode the Sky Coaster. Oh really? Yeah, it's so. For those of you who don't know, it's this thing you you get strapped into this kind of harness that that lays you down face down, and they pull you up about 150 maybe more feet by this steel cable, and then drop you down, and it's this massive swing, uh, and so you're in free fall for a second or two, and then this cable catches and it swings you out across the park. It's it was nuts. Wow! Yeah, my heart just doubled just thinking about it. It was it was um, it was both awful and wonderful at the same time. I can't bring my I'm not afraid of heights, but I can't bring myself to do that one. Um, I would actually encourage you to try it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Hmm. Um, I would do it again. It was expensive though. It was like an extra fifteen bucks. So. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so on to other things. Um, some quick housekeeping. Uh, once again, I would love for our listeners to go to mz.com slash legendarium and join our conversation there. Uh, it's we're we're having some good conversation. Ryan uh, found a, a link a little while ago that I shared on MZ. Um, you know, about uh, depression and fantasy literature. And maybe we'll talk about that more later. But mm-hmm. uh, but stuff like that where, you know, we, we talk about stuff that's a little bit... Sometimes we, we go beyond the, hey, look at this trailer, or, you know, kind of the regular news stuff and, and have some actual discussions. So that's fun. I like seeing seeing everybody there. We like to get deep on MZ. We get very deep on MZ. It's... The name MZ doesn't lend itself to, like, deep discussion. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> The great minds of the world all gather together on MZ today. <laughs> uh, but the other thing that I would say, um, even if you don't want to join the discussion so much, MZ.com slash Legendarium is where you can go to uh, donate to the podcast, help us keep our heads above water. Uh, and so you go to MZ.com slash Legendarium, request to join the community there, and then once you're in, you can tip the community and that will go toward our production and distribution costs, and we would much appreciate any help that you can send our way, whether it's $1 one time or a recurring $5 donation, whatever you want to do to help support 
the Legendarium podcast. We much appreciate it. Uh, okay, good. Done with that. Um, now on to Elantris, unless you guys have anything else. No, let's get into this place. Okay. Now, spoiler spoiler wise, uh, this is for the listeners as much as it is to remind the two of you. We are going to spoil the heck out of Elantris. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so don't uh, don't listen to this unless you either have read the book or honestly don't care about spoilers, which would be awful. That's kind of like one of the things about Brandon Sanderson books is the ending. It's as much about the ending as the journey. I don't know. I don't I I've spoiled a couple of these beforehand as I've been reading just this one in particular. Actually, it took me I went and looked up a synopsis ahead of time a little bit. Just to get a feel for where I was going, yeah, um, I needed it to get through this one. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All All right. Right. We can explain it. Yeah, we'll get a there. More, but. Um, anyway, we, so we are going to spoil this one like crazy, but we will not spoil any of the rest of the Cosmere. Uh, we may reference Mistborn and, and Stormlight and all that stuff, but we will not spoil those stories. So if this is your first foray into Brandon Sanderson, don't worry. Uh, just make sure you've read this book first and then listen to the podcast and hopefully enjoy it. So, um, let's do a recap real quick. And, uh, because Ryan made fun of me last time, (laughs) I actually recapped the book in this one, or at least recapped the setup, uh, and didn't get into my review because we'll get into plenty of review stuff in a moment. Uh, but here we go. I, I, I often challenge myself to recap a book in three paragraphs and that's what i did here so here we go elantris is a godlike city with godlike inhabitants who have godlike powers or at least it was unfortunately all that godlike stuff broke now the city is dark grimy and filled with wretched former and would-be gods who are in a state of arrested decay their city is falling apart their bodies cannot die and their pains and hunger never fade Elantris, it turns out, is a living hell. So naturally, the government has been moved to a nearby city. The story starts ten years after the fall of Elantris, with Raodin, the crown prince, joining the ranks of those who still get chosen seemingly at random uh, to join the doomed Elantrians. His transformation happened on the eve of his wedding to the princess Serene, who arrives only to be told that her husband is dead. She must find her way in a new country as its new princess under an awful king. Serene has plenty to do, though, since her arrival coincides with that of Hraithen, a high-ranking priest sent by an encroaching empire. Hraithen's instructions are simple. Convert the people in three months or they'll all die by the sword. So Hraithen and Serene begin a political sparring match while Raodin, stuck in Elantris, must solve the riddle of the broken magic before it's too late. Wow, dun, solid dun, dun. finish there. Yeah? Dun. Yeah. So that I could go on the inside book jacket. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm going for. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I was like, <laughs> wow, did he just read the publishers? <laughs> I just want to make sure, you know, somebody might be listening to this and it's been, you know, five years or ten years since they read the book. And I want to make mm-hmm. sure they remember the setup. Uh, so yeah, now let's spoil the, the crap out of it. And, and he talk- fixes the magic. He fixes it. It's all better now. Uh, but I, I, when I say it's as much about the destination as the journey, let's not discount the journey. the journey. It was, it was a great journey to get there. Um, at least I thought so. Uh, but let's, let's kick it first to Jeff. Jeff, what did you think of Elantris? 
I really liked it. I remember after I'd read Mistborn, I was looking for another Brandon Sanderson book to read, and I picked Elantris up in the store, and I started reading the first few chapters, and I was just so confused that I put it down and I went on and did other stuff. And then I, my wife had it, and she read it, and she loved it, read through the whole thing, and I was like, man, I, I definitely have to... I, I was going to read it at some point anyway, and I went through and read it, and I was like, oh, man, yeah, once you get through that first part, um, which is still good, but um, I can explain why it was confusing later, but, you know, I... It was a really, really great read. I yeah. had a good time with it. No, I uh, explain now. Well, yeah. So the it was kind of like I felt. Um, so a couple of things. One, you've got the three viewpoint characters. So just as you're getting a handle on one element of the world, you're going on to someone else, um, and you're having to get a handle on that. And then a third one. So it's like you're trying to balance three stories in your mind. And Brandon has admitted that he has kind of a steeper learning curve. And I think this one more than others, because on top of that, you have all these words that are, you know, made up words. And I felt kind of similar to reading the Silmarillion where every other word was either a character's name that was kind of crazy. And I wasn't sure how to pronounce or a made up word. Like you had Gjorn and, you know, Sion and Aeon and you right. know all these things that it was just like, but the difference between that and the Silmarillion is once I started reading, like I just picked up on the vocabulary very easily and I stopped being confused and it just became natural. It's like, oh yeah, I know what a Gurren is. I know what all these things are. Yeah. No, I, I can totally sympathize with that with the steep learning curve. Um, this time, so I, I've read the book, I think twice before this read through. Uh, and this time I read it on my Kindle, um, sort of half on my Kindle. I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. But I, I had the little percentage down in the corner it tells you how far mm -hmm. you are in the book and i remember what I, I was watching that percentage pretty closely because i was so curious about this you know the slow burn of this book and yeah. and where when it would pick up and it was like right at the 50 percent mark um you know some stuff happens and things just start going crazy and i could not put the book down but it took mm -hmm. until that 50 percent mark and this is a 700-page book, you know, or whatever it is. It's it's massive. And so getting through that first half of the book, getting everything set up, it is not uh, a simple task. Mm -hmm. And I think I used to say, um, I, I used to be kind of inconsistent when somebody would say, where should I start with Brandon Sanderson? And I would say, well, either Atlantis or Mistborn. But now I'm kind of thinking I would push people toward Mistborn first mm -hmm. because, you know, as confusing as the beginning of that book is, it only takes you, say, 100 pages to get your feet under you versus 300 pages in this book. Does that make sense? Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. Well, yeah. and one thing we haven't mentioned yet, this was his first. Yes. His yes. first book. And you can, you can tell. Um, it's an incredible first book for an author uh, to release on this level. Um, and it is it is a fantastic story. I but pacing uh, issues. It, there are pacing issues, and for those of us who, especially if you've read some of his other works, you come into this and you go, "Okay, I know you. I know you can give me more than you're giving me yeah. here." This uh, the story for me as I was reading through it, it felt more like a kind of a political thriller for a long period of time, mm -hmm. which is. Mm -hmm. Something that I can enjoy in a story, but for me doesn't usually, I don't really enjoy it as my primary piece of yeah. the story. Um, by the time you reach the end of it and you look back at everything, you realize that it's more than that. But at the time, it didn't feel that way. That's why I had to go look at it. I'm like, I need to see what's happening here at the end, what's going to happen at the end. 
Um, is there going to be some payoff to all this setup that's going to be worth it for me? Now, I trust Brandon Sanderson, and I trust the people who have told me that there is, but I needed a little bit more information. So I went and, le- I went and looked ahead to say, okay, what, what am I dealing with? And I'm, I'm glad I did because it helped me get through it. Uh, but at the same time, I did lose out a little bit on the, the, the surprise factor of, oh, that's cool when yeah. he solves the magic. Oh, and it was, yeah, it's really great. Because like, I, I sat there and I knew it was coming. Every time he was trying to piece it together, I'm like, okay, you're getting closer. Yeah, I yeah know, one, you're getting closer. one of my favorite things about, uh, about uh, how he solves the puzzle, and this is actually a point in Sanderson's pacing favor in this book, is that it's not slow, 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 slow huge reveal Mm -hmm. he gives you big pieces along the way until you finally you know you have the whole picture in front of you um and and so the the magic system we learn is um what what were some of the first things we learned it's tied to the land and Mm -hmm. uh i i'm trying to remember all there's like tied to the land you have to they all start with the same two lines yeah circle or something like that yeah, the, the dot, the two lines and the dot. Yeah, they yeah. all have this base. It's tied to the land. Like there's there's big elements that are revealed to you early, and as you're going through, uh, you you can kind of piece you you can piece it together fairly easily when you look back after it's revealed to you. Um, and that's actually one thing I know when we talked about a reckoner series, we kind of I kind of complained a little bit that things were solved too quickly. Yeah, on some of those. This one that's that's not the case, but it's well worth uh, it, it's well worth the journey to to the discovery. Um, and I appreciate that we actually, that he actually takes the time in this in this story and in many of his stories to let that journey happen because I know for a lot of a lot of fantasy authors it's a lot easier to just kind of reveal and explain in uh, you know five pages towards the end right than to give you those pieces beforehand. So um, let me ask you this, uh, both of you: What are your thoughts on? the magic system itself. Uh, were you intrigued by it? Were you bored by it? Uh, what did you think of Aeon Dor? You mean the force? The force. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. It It's affected by the land and all living things. It surrounds us and binds us. <laughs> Penetrates us. <laughs> I, I really liked the concept. It's, when I was first reading, uh, most of what I was doing was listening on audiobook because uh, most of my day is spent traveling around <laughs> when I can listen to books is when it is travel time. And so it was really weird for the first little while to listen to like the door, the door. Oh, right. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, this is did the you... dumbest name for magic I've ever heard. The door, open the door. <laughs> did you, uh, did you listen to the audible narration then? Yeah. With the, the whisper sync connect. I got to say that guy was awful. Not my favorite audiobook to listen I, to. I can't say I can't say awful, but he was not not anywhere near my favorite yeah. audiobook narrator. Yeah. But as for the magic system itself, I actually I really like this concept of a of a really high energy power that is trapped behind something mm-hmm. and is only being it's only being let out through these symbols and things like that. And even at this point it still can't get out. Right. Um I think I'm more excited to see where this power, where this magic system goes, what happens with this magic system going forward, because there's a lot of stuff that you can do with this. They've mm-hmm. already talked about how intricate and uh, detailed you can get with your, uh, your aeons um, to target specific things and see what happens as this system is brought back into uh, this civilization, you know, as eventually he will return to this story and write more. I'm, 
certain. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, so, Jeff, tell me your thoughts on the setting. Um, it, we have Elantris, which is um, obviously not a very nice place to be. And I, I'm kind of reminded of how nasty the Mistborn world was. Uh, you know, and you just think like, oh, that's dirty and gross and the, it's dark and you don't want to spend any time there. But then you kind of have a balance with the city of K. Uh, so, uh, yeah, what did you think? Did you enjoy the setting? Did you ever want to visit there or did you want to be done with the book and get out of there? I I liked it. I thought the interesting thing about it, too, is how it's just so... Um closed off how it has become like you said it's a hell that people get thrust into and they just forget about and pretend that they're not there um and how that created its own little you know sub society of elantrians where they've got the different gangs that are buying and it's all based on getting the food from the newcomers and either recruiting the newcomers to your gang or whatever and it made for a really interesting um dynamic when ray odin comes and he forms his own gang in a way but tries to make it something else and he tries to improve you know this living hell into some place that people actually want to be and enjoy which i was i thought was really cool and it was you know his optimism shining through turning hell into a place that you want to live but but i thought it was it was fun yeah it's uh it's you get a nice interesting juxtaposition here with elantris and the city of uh okay okay because we actually most of the time you have this kind of dystopian future and the entire world's been ravaged or whatever and so everyone lives in it. In this case, you have this single city, this enclosed dystopian future mm-hmm. with uh, the rest of the world existing outside of it. And I really, I loved how different they were and how different the approaches of the people living in each city were to life um, based on their, their different situations. I I did think it was a little interesting um, when you reveal later on in the, they reveal later on in the story that most of the griminess, most of the disgustingness of Atlantis isn't from like time decay or anything. It's like a fungus. Yeah, it's something. It, it had a logical explanation. Yeah, and it, kind well, of a weird one. The, the city is it's a living entity that's trying to that subsists on the power of the door that had originally that came the door, through it. The door, open the door, Ryan, yes. open it. But <laughs> I think it's, I just thought it was interesting that we're seeing, like, that uh, to me, Elantris was a lot more alive once they revealed that than it had been. It had been this dead city. But we realized that, oh, you know, yeah, well, they, they were able to scrub it clean or whatever. It was just, there was something alive trying to to find sustenance in, right, in the power right. there. I, I really liked, speaking of juxtaposition, um, is something that, that I only realized after I'd finished the book on this third time. Um Politics. Sorry, buddy. We're no, talking, that's fine. Talking I, about I, I knew we politics. would come to this one because it's a big part of the story. <laughs> um, I I feel like uh, it was it was a little ham fisted. You know, this being his first book, uh, it, it, he wasn't as practiced at this point at being subtle. But um, there's this juxtaposition between the city of K or the the nation now of Arilon that is kind of this. Uh, this pure capitalistic society where the rich rule. Mm-hmm. The richer you are, the more powerful you are. It's, you know, I don't know if that's capitalist per se, but it's, you know, some kind of recognizable modern system. I, I guess we'd call it uh, um, 
Oh shoot! What are the name the guys think, in Russia that rule? Oh, now I'm now I'm gonna hate myself for forgetting this word. Probably. Plutarchs. Uh, <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> anyway, but you have so you have that juxtaposed against. Uh, so this is like an ultra modern system juxtaposed against the city of Elantris, which is uh, animalistic and in a way, and it's like very primitive with their gangs and their their. They're kind of god leaders in that little girl. But slowly it develops into, with with Raiden's work, it turns into a communist. Kind of like a, yeah, a little socialist yeah, commune. Some, yeah. Something like that's that. That's a better way to phrase it. Um, yeah. It, it, it's really interesting. Brandon has said multiple times uh, that he tends toward the socialistic in his politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not sure I believe him, <laughs> uh, or, you know, and, and I'm sure people's politics change after, you know, certain events. And just as you go through life, there was one part that I thought was, uh, was really great. He, um, he says a man will, this is Raiden, I think he says a man will work much more productively when he works for himself. And I thought, well, that's not very socialist, Brandon. You know, if you're working for yourself, you're not True. working for the community. You know what I mean? Uh, and then not more than a page or two later, uh, he says um, he's going on about prosperity need not be limited to a small percentage of the population kind of railing against the the K people. And I'm like, oh, there he is. There's the socialist. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually don't think that the first term entirely is is non-socialistic. Um I get I I can see why that's thought, the thought of as the case but it's it's a true it's a fairly true statement based on our nature to uh if you're doing something that's going to improve life for yourself or uh, take care of yourself or remove some uh obstacle in front of you uh, you are more likely to work harder for it and in this case especially in Elantris for them it's overcoming that pain and the hunger and mm-hmm. and getting rid of what makes life so miserable there um, so they're doing something for themselves, right? For the betterment of that ends up being a betterment for the whole community. With with the right organization, that mindset can allow the community as a whole to prosper. Did you feel like um, the pain of the Elantrians was uh, kind of analogous to just life pain in life? You know, where if you if you let it fester, you know, the bad things that happen to you, then you're gonna latch onto those and not. Uh, not ever get over them. But then if you put yourself to work and pour yourself into, you know, your work, your passions, your whatever, other people around you, then you, those things start to kind of fade away a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, the concept of just continuing movement, continuing to go, uh, when you go through something difficult in life or, uh, things are difficult. If, if you get stuck in a place and you let yourself sit there, things don't get better because you stay, there you can't outweigh the the problem so the fact that i i did really appreciate the concept of that getting out of yourself uh and going to work took care of the these problems for the elantrians i think it's a great uh, concept um that uh, that this book teaches yeah and they explored that a lot too because they had um you know, you have Karada and her gang who they're actually taking care of the children. And she says something along the lines of, you know, our hunger doesn't seem so bad when we know that it's coming because we're helping to feed and help these children. 
Um, one quote that I pulled was from Seolin, who's kind of Rayodin's head of security. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he fights, so he's risking himself. Like he gets an injury, it's never going to heal, and it's always going to hurt. And he said about you know the other Elantrians, these people gave into their pain because they could find no purpose. Their pain was meaningless, and you can't find reason in life. You tend to give up in it. This wound will hurt, but each stab of pain will remind me that I earned it with honor. That is not such a bad thing, I think. So I think you know a lot of that. In Elantris, the people that are successful, you see, are the people that find their purpose, and they're able to then forget their pain, which, again, is what Rayodin does with helping all these people take their skills that they learned before and put them to good use to building this little society. And, again, they say he has the secret to make us forget our hunger, to forget our pain, and it's having a purpose and working towards that. So I think... Uh, which is an idea I can get behind. Yeah. I thought it was, I think it's interesting. There's two things. The first thing is I remember kind of after this initial concept for the Elantrians was revealed uh, and kind of explained out a little bit, I, I remember thinking, like, for the entire day, anything that I did that would have hurt or did anything, like, I can't imagine, like, living with that the oh, rest yeah. of my life. There's so many stupid little things that I I really, you could get sucked into it really bad. I just thought that was uh, a fun thing. It's, it, 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 real quick, before you move <laughs> on from that, I, uh, I would just want to say um, it, it, it is great as kind of an analogy but like with all the best analogies in literature, it also works by itself. Mm-hmm. It's a, a great little concept to, you know, to make your world interesting and different and uh, colorful. This idea that the Elantrians always feel their pain. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Great analogy, but also great by itself. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to bring up, I actually think this might fit a little more into your wheelhouse of expertise or or train of thought i'm not sure is, it, th- is it about zelda or lord yeah. of the rings <laughs> no i thought i thought the response of rayodin to when serene is doing her widow's uh trial trial i mean most people would look at this and go look at something like that and go hey that's great you're helping out those who need help you know she's bringing in food every day right. what the elantrians are need and rayodin's looking at this going this is not good. This is not helping us. This is, you're undoing the work I've just spent months doing right. uh, because people are now going to be relying upon this rather than upon their own work and their own merits to get themselves out of this frustration yeah. because one day you're going to stop doing this and then they're going to go back and we're going to have to start the over fresh building from what are, where I started. And that's a, that was another moment when I was like, wait, you call yourself a socialist and yet... Like, this is obviously, like, Rayodin's situation, this is where he's critiquing modern culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this doesn't sound very socialistic. I would just love to sit down for dinner with Brandon Sanderson and say, all right, politics, let's do this. Like, I really want to (laughs) dig in and say, what do you mean by socialist when you call yourself? And I think he he doesn't necessarily, like, capital S, call himself a socialist. He says he has, you know, he leans a lot further to the left than most people in his life. So that's maybe that's different. Well, I don't and I don't see that what Serene does as is being a as a terrible thing and, and a, as a bad thing. And Rayodin doesn't I don't know. that he, he doesn't really try and stop it too much. Well, he can't. Uh, yeah. But I think the the concept here is that Rayodin wants to get a community to get the community build, uh, being self-sufficient. Mm hmm. So they can provide for the community as a whole um, in that way, everyone providing their little piece there versus an outside force, Serene, 
coming in and providing the EU. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it. It's the difference there between a socialist, a social society, a socialist society, a commune like this is providing for itself that's self sufficient mm-hmm. versus an outside source coming in and saying being the benevolent handout and taking care. Of, there's a difference yeah. there. You can. I still think you can. They still have a socialist esque idea right in elantris sure but this doesn't fit that because it takes away their self-sufficiency one one more thing uh, a, a point of interest on this topic before we move on to another one is that isn't it interesting that in order to get to this kind of communist utopia uh, in new elantris it requires a dictator Mm-hmm. And we get a pretty frank discussion later in the book about how Rayodin, yeah, he says, yeah, I'm, what is he, a tyrant. Uh, yeah, I'm a tyrant. I made these people do this, basically. Like, mm-hmm. I tell them how to live their lives. Um, boy, that's unsettling. A little bit. A little bit, but it's not, uh, he's not wrong in the in, in this story, in this situation. You mean in doing what he did? In doing what he did. In right. This, um, and it's not one of the necessarily an ends justify the means thing either. It's really in order to break this entire society of its learned culture, someone had to come in and say, nope, this is not how it's going to be anymore and force the change that once everyone saw the change and, and kind of saw where it was going and what happened, uh, it became the the desired state right. rather. So um, there's a... Well, I think... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think it was interesting too because there are a lot of... And it's hard to say, you know, like you're saying, um, Craig, that you don't you see these things as socialist or not socialist. I think that he was exploring a lot of different political systems because you do have basically, you know, how Elantris starts with kind of it's anarchy, you know, animalistic. You have the the, the kingdom of K, who which is based purely on who can make whoever makes the most money has the most power, and that's how it's set up. Like a merchant class basically rules. Uh, by and the way, also have oligarchs. Different. Oligarchs is the name I was, is the uh, word I was looking for. <laughs> Businessmen ruling. Yeah, so the, yeah, got it. And then on top, uh, in even further contrast, you have kind of a theocracy with Jordan um, yes. and their their warrior priests, who are also their political leaders, and the dictator of their country is like a, a prophet, basically, and. You know, that, I mean, we could get into a whole other discussion about religion, which is really interesting, too. And we're about to. Yeah, I was going to say, this is where we got to go next. Uh, Did you, sorry, Jeff, I cut you off. Were you done? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just kind of bringing that up, the the different, you know. So I I don't know if any one of these things is his viewpoint. He may agree with certain factors more than others. But I think it was just an interesting explanation, explanation because in some way, all of these systems work. And there are pros and cons, and you know there are things that are good about having these warrior priests that rule, and there are things that are really bad because they're going and conquering everybody. There are things that work with the oligarchy, and there's thing that things that don't. You know, yeah. So, and yeah, it, it was, in some way, they were all being upset and and changed and challenged. One of the one of the things that's a in my mind at least a mark of a great book uh, is not being able to tell exactly where the author is coming from. We talked about this uh, last year when we when we discussed in absence of fear with Celeste Cheney. Uh, you know there oh, yeah. there are so many different things brought up in that book that I couldn't say. Okay, Celeste Cheney is a fill in the blank politically. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I, she was really really good at that. I was actually hoping to have her on this episode. We'll get her on for another one sometime. Uh, 
promise. She was very smart. I like liked Celeste a lot. Uh, but anyway, the kind of kind of the same thing here. I knew because I had read a few of the things that Brandon had written and said outside of his books. I knew what he considered his political leanings to be, but you know, it. it I didn't get that from reading this book before, uh, and I don't think that you can necessarily get it from reading it uh, even after he says that it's it, he does a pretty good job with balancing that stuff out and exploring different viewpoints yeah he he gives due diligence to each oppose each viewpoint and validity to each viewpoint and that's something that you don't always get um i i'm really glad you brought up the religious aspect of with the uh, rathan and the and uh, the gyorns and their religion which name the name is escaping the Dorethi or Dorethi Dorethi the Dorethi um, because that group is terrifying. The, the, the whole Durethi priest, that whole concept is incredible and terrifying to me. At like the, same the time. warrior monks and the, not necessarily just the warrior the monks. hierarchical structure or what about it? Specifically, it's what I consider the dark side of religion. Um, as I was thinking about this, this concept of when, when he gets into your mind, the converter die uh-huh. piece like that, that terrifies me because that generally, um, at least in my personal opinion, uh, you lose logic and you lose reason with a lot of people when it comes to religion like that. And I, I, I just find that concept of of people being that zealous, yeah, a little terrifying to me. And that made for a really, really great villain i put it in i I give it the question mark emphasis at the end (laughs) because wraithan in the end actually ends up being one of the bigger heroes of the story um in because he takes down um uh diloff diloff but i i don't know the i i loved that the that terrorizing theocracy yeah. that was going to come destroy them in three months and then you find out at the end it really wasn't about trying to convert them in three months they were just going to come and destroy them anyway oh man what a great stroke yeah um i suspect that a reason that this book uh was really um popular when it first was published one of the reasons that people loved it so much was that the book wasn't afraid to go after religion and politics in mm-hmm. you know in very uh detailed and nuanced ways or you know th- and think about what you're talking about it, you know the convert or die mentality and or, or it- the weakness of the religion in in uh Arulan, mm-hmm. where it they just kind of sit there and let themselves be rolled over you know what i mean yeah and the i guess the thing that i appreciate most about it is uh, it's not too hard to write about the downsides of religion. It, re- <laughs> yeah. it really isn't. And But to not discredit religion as a whole uh, while still writing about that is important because there were there's multiple belief systems in here that we deal with. Um, we just happen to have one that's gone to the zealotry level, which is the dark side of, right. of religion. There is the zealotry. Um, and I really appreciated that because you... It would be really easy just to say religion is conquering force and it's bad. You know, you, you could write a very uh, atheistic approach to this. And it would sell like hotcakes, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And he doesn't. He There's still great value to the belief systems 
that are in place in to the people, especially uh, in Elantris with Rayodin trying to figure out uh, the door and kind of the belief system of that made the Elantrians the godlike creatures that they were and what they believed in, especially as he discovers their kind of temple with the pool and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So, uh, I I have places that I could go, but I'm very nervous to talk about <laughs> the religion in this book. Jeff, do you have anything you want to say on this subject? Well, yeah, with, with Rathen, it was really interesting to, that he was this um, basically like an evil missionary. And he was doing, it was so weird, this like back and forth, because at the beginning, I didn't really like reading his chapters. Mm. But the more I read, the more I really enjoyed. He became kind of one of my favorite chapters to read by about midway through or, or, and towards the end especially. Because um, you could see, you could understand, he's doing all these terrible things, but you can understand why. He's going about converting these people. He's being very duplicitous, being very just doing things that are like kind of gross, you know, morally. But in the real reason, because he doesn't want these people to die. He doesn't want them to be slaughtered, you know, when the three month time period is, is over. And he doesn't know that it's going to happen anyway. But you know, so he's doing his best and using these terrible means to try to get to an end that will ultimately lead in, in saving people's lives. So it's like. Is he doing something good? Is he doing something bad? It's kind of walks this really interesting line of being both at the same time. Well, and he also has one of the more interesting journeys as he starts to question his own faith. Um, not necessarily his uh, whether or not he believes it. It's his reason for believing it. And he, how he's going to believe in it. Exactly, because he starts watching Diloph, who's this ultra-zealot, um, not knowing who he is as a whole um, and just sits there and, and he's like, I, why do I do this? Why do I do this the way that I do? It's because it makes sense to me. Like it, I don't have right. the, I don't have the, the burning fire of, of that in, inside of me. It just makes sense. And it's just a very interesting uh, journey to follow him on. And it makes him more, uh, it's easier to, uh, what's the word? <laughs> Oligarch. No. <laughs> <laughs> when you uh, identify with someone that's oh empathize empathize uh, you can empathize with him a little bit more uh, sympathize i would say sympathize yeah let's go with that one yeah. one of those you can sympathize with him a little more <laughs> on that journey he becomes less of the terrifying villain and a little bit more of someone who's struggling with something and just trying to do the best with what he's got right i really liked uh his chapters i it's hard for me to say i liked one of the three storylines the best out of the three because they all had uh, wonderful qualities uh but i i loved this um exploration of faith versus religion uh and how your faith obviously you know it it's going to be tied up with a belief system and that belief system generally takes the form of a religion uh and that's okay but it actually reminded me of our last discussion on the Silmarillion when we talked about Akalabeth and we discussed the faithful group uh, in Numenor and how they basically had to find what they were most, uh, what was most deserving of their faith. And it, it, we talked about root principles, uh, basic principles and getting down to those and finding those. And so this, I, I feel like a lot of this book was, or at least for Rathen or Rathen or Rathen or whatever, Rathen. whatever we're calling him. Uh, a lot of his journey was about finding the fundamental principle 
uh, that his faith was based on and sticking to that, even when he saw certain members of his faith or even the religion itself and its leader going against that. He, he says, no, my fundamental principle says X, I'm sticking with X, end mm-hmm. of story. Uh, that was, I, I thought that was fantastic, a great treatment of, of what faith can and should maybe be. Yeah, I like that. It's also, as you look back on a story, it fits really well when you realize that um, he came out of Doc Whore, which you, when, once you know what really is going on there, like that he maintained his faith even after coming out of that. Um, it's, it's just a, he's, there's a reason he's at the end of the book is respected by Serene and the rest of the group as, as a bit of a hero, despite being a very, uh, disturbing force to come in. Um, which by the way, I, we don't have to talk about him much, but the doc were priests. So cool. That's so awesome and terrifying. And <laughs> oh man, man. Yeah. That was a great visual. Hey, yeah, this is the part of the podcast where we all just go, oh, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, big punching stuff. Well, yeah, so <laughs> you finally get to the end of the book and the Docker priests are attacking everything, and you just get you get all these reveal. I don't know if they're reveals, but um, her, like, Serene's uncle busting out his axe and taking down a couple of the priests, just being incredibly awesome there. And then the visuals in my mind when the... the uh, newly reborn Elantrians right. teleport oh, yeah. to uh, just this wave of them just come crashing through to, to fight, to kind of fight the Dock priests off at the end. is so cool. It was, yeah, so much of this book was kind of philosophy and political theory and whatnot, but then there were those moments when the Brandon Sanderson that we've come to know and love with his cinematic writing style really started to shine through. <laughs> the man I totally who- imagined, like... I imagine, like, when they were teleporting, like, you know, when the X-Wings all go into hyperspace, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like little beams of light. That's what I imagined. I was like, that's awesome. I, uh, I kind of pictured more like uh, they, they would draw these symbols, and then it was like a gate, and they'd step through a gate. Um, there's a, uh, a, it's very it's very reminiscent. I had two thoughts. One is, uh, for those who have read the Wheel of Time series, is when they fold the, they do a, a, a way to travel is to fold the... Uh, the fabric space, of space the fabric of the earth space time continuum together and then they kind of cut a hole between the two and you just walk through and i kind of think that's he took maybe a little bit from his work with robert jordan's stuff well to, he hadn't got there yet oh that's right this is this is pre-robert jordan this is pre-robert jordan but it's uh, he still familiar but he with his, still read it yeah still, still familiar it. with the work do that or it was a uh the armies from uh thor Oh, like the icy dudes? No. Uh, it, the elfy dudes? Dark elves? If you watch the first... No, the first Thor, when they... Um, Odin and everyone just kind of appears. There's this... Uh, oh, there's this, with the symbol on the ground and it everything. It just kind of goes boom. Yeah, it hits like that. And then they all start attacking uh, the frost okay. giants. That's kind of one of the ways I visualize that happening. And see, and, and this just goes to, like, you know, illustrate our differences. I thought of uh, Zelda Twilight Princess and also... Uh, Skyward Sword. Mm-hmm. There's, they have these kind of uh, portal mechanisms, and he has to walk through these. Uh, yeah, that's what yeah. I visualized for sure. Um, there, yeah, there was a great moment uh-huh. though when when he would draw the Aeon for sight, and then kind of the middle of it seems to disappear, and it becomes uh, 
like a magnifying glass and mm-hmm. he can zoom in and out. It, it was very like minority report. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. It was awesome. That was really great. The visuals in this, uh, for film or television purposes would be very impressive. I think oh, this, yeah. one, this one would actually be a good story to, uh, to put on to film. Put on film. Yeah. I I've, uh, I've said before with our Mistborn podcast, I'd much rather see those as video games, but this one would be much better as a film. I think. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Um, or a short uh, series, mini series piece. That's the way I most of the, most books like this. I feel like would do better as mini series than a yeah. standalone piece, just because you can tell more of the intricacies and you can get into the stories with Royal and um, Tell Right. Tell Right. Man, I hate these names. Uh, let's let's talk. <laughs> let's get to some other stuff, and we'll get to complaints in just a minute. Um, characters. It's actually a, a common. Um, complaint. If you go online and and read people's reviews of Elantris, they often talk about how they dislike the characters, um, especially that Raiden and and Serene don't go through a lot of growth, and they're like, oh, I want more of a character arc. Personally, I think that's crap. But I want to hear what you guys think about the characters, especially our three main characters. We've talked about Rathen enough now that I think mm-hmm. we're good there. But what about the other two? Do you feel like they? Uh, were were they three dimensional? Did you like them as characters? Yeah, I did. Um, to say they don't have a character arc, I'm not sure that I. I don't disagree, but I don't agree with it either. I'm, it's it's a weird gray area in between because Rayodin at the end of the story is not that different personality wise from when he starts. His journey in the in the story is more about him building up this community. He's not changing. He's not making a 180 or he's not changing what his his life perspective. It very much influences who he is and what he's able to build. Um, his journey is about figuring out the door and figuring out which... That's the door. I can't deal with the, the, <laughs> that name there. Um, that's, that's his journey. Serene... Um, Again, she, I don't think she changes a ton from beginning to end of the story, with the exception of her appreciation for Wraith and, and her understanding of Wraith, because she hates him right at the beginning, but realizes in the end kind of what he was about. I, I actually really like her journey a lot because it wasn't about changing her personality. It was about accepting her personality, mm-hmm. uh, coming to grips with what her strengths and weaknesses were. Um yeah, I, I liked her quite a lot. I, I remember um, when she arrived and she starts meeting with the the conspirators, mm-hmm. um, she's constantly telling these people and thinking to herself that uh, that their ways are backward. Oh, well, in Teod, we do this and this. Um, we do things differently and so much better. Uh, and she's gently reminded toward the beginning of the book by Ahan, I think it was, that just because it's traditional doesn't mean it's backward. Mm -hmm. You know, we have our way of doing things and, you know, and that's okay. You know, I I would say that that's a a healthy outlook. You know, I think there is a difference between right and wrong, but there are lots of different ways to do right. Um, Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and I, and, and I feel like her part of her character arc was understanding herself, and a part of it was coming to accept the culture around her uh, as another right way to do a lot of things. Yeah, and I think the 
that group that she's with, the conspirator group, is actually one of one of the more enjoyable groups to follow in the storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I love Galadon and uh, the Elantris group, there seem to be more intriguing events revolving around what was going on with yeah. the conspirator group. And they're just also different personality-wise that you get to have a little more flavor in what's happening versus other some of the other places. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, do you have any other thoughts? I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> just blanket statement. Um, but, yeah, but other thoughts. One thing, I and mean, it's kind of jumping back again to way early on, I loved the, also we talked about religion, politics. I loved kind of the influence of language and culture, starting with the fact that their magic system is really language-based. And again, I'll just background, I studied Japanese. I minored in it in college and it, I saw a lot of that with like the Aeon you know because in, in Japanese they have the Chinese characters that they use and there's a lot of that like the the stroke order matters the order you do them how long and short certain things are how exacting each of those things is like I could really relate with that because I struggled through that for several years um, trying to learn those characters and the fact that he used something like that like in the real world which he I imagine is familiar with kind of the Chinese characters and things behind that um, and translate it into something more with that's how you open the door of the door to let the magic in <laughs> it was really cool. But then even just the way that lots of the different cultures had various um, aspects, it made the world seem so big. Like you've got this idea that there's all these different countries, there's Duladel, which had fallen, and you've got a character from there, then you've even got like Sporden way off there, Fjordel, and each of them has something kind of distinctive um, about them that even though you don't learn very much, it just makes the world seem so big and full and rich and and real. Unlike some of, in fantasy, it's easy to just oversimplify things. I think, and I think this went the other direction and and did so fairly successfully. Yeah. Um, well, we've we've got a few minutes left. Let's talk about complaints uh, because this is a. Uh, debut novel and it wasn't in my opinion as polished as his other future stuff uh and there there was some stuff that i wasn't uh terribly happy with uh ryan do you have any before i unload i already my only complaint was just the their the pacing is just the, a bit slow yeah. to get going but other than that i don't really have any problems with this book uh otherwise. one one thing that i noticed as i was reading through it was the idioms uh, he would throw a lot of 21st century or 20th century idioms in there or just uh, kind of colloquial phrases and expressions. There was one part where he said something was insanely true. I'm like, what? That's No, that's what I said in high school. That's how I said things. You know, it's a colloquial phrase. Or um, talking about the... about. Uh, Gosh, what's her uncle's name? Kian? Kayine? His little uh, daughter who knows languages so well. Um, Her language learning ability is unreal, says her older brother. Like, unreal. Describing something as unreal to say that it's, um, you know, fantastic or or, uh, great in some way. Like, these these are very modern ways of saying things. And you'll notice he doesn't do this as often as in his future books. Uh, he gets better at getting away from those things because when you read something like that, or at least when I read something like that, it uh, it pulls me out of my 
uh, that that illusion that we're in an otherworldly place you know it's so that was that was one of those things a lot of those little colloquialisms kind of bothered me a little don't have a problem with either of those um and the other thing i would say on that is just shut up craig no we actually yes it's otherworldly but we don't know what time frame we're dealing with here well i mean it's not earth it's not earth i mean that's the thing is it's not earth and we're in this cosmere and believe me i'm I'm really looking forward to the day when I can figure out how the the time space continuum works there because <laughs> it's a messed up setup trying to figure out what's going on when and how people are affecting things. But I I don't see anything the I don't see that affecting the story in any way. I get it if it pulls you out of the story because yeah. that's what you notice. I I get that being a complaint, but I, I don't I, have a problem with it. It doesn't bother me. It's also a uh, a problem if a book tries too hard to get into like old old timey middle english type you know mm-hmm. like the the old england with the e's on the end of everything you know like that bothers me too i just prefer with something like fantasy literature use a more timeless way to say things um does that make sense yeah yeah, yeah uh it. anyway what about names how did you guys feel about the names I've I've said before I think on our original Mistborn podcasts I've I talked about how I think this is Brandon Sanderson's maybe his biggest weak point uh for me as an author is his ability to name things and when I say that I often think of this book because it's pretty in my mind not horrendous but it, it's the weakest part of the book for me really yeah yeah, as well, nah, I don't know. There, there is the pacing issues that we talk about, but just on a what on a page by page basis, I, I guess. Other than the door, um, <laughs> what names? Like, what is it about well, the names that bother you? Because it, it's that um, it's that they are unpronounceable and inconsistent. It's not just the names; it's it's also the words, the the kind of like the language that he halfway gives you in order to give the book some flavor. Um, so you have serene, but it was originally supposed to be pronounced serene, uh, according to Sanderson. And then you have Rathen, or is it Rathen, or is it Rathen? You have no context, no way to know how these things are pronounced. There's uh, not a consistent language behind it for you to judge against. And I don't, I'm not asking for him to create, you know, uh, Sindarin every single time that mm-hmm. he wants to write a book. That's fine. But within your system, there should be some consistency. And he did this with, um, uh, with Mistborn. I, I think Jeff, you might've been the one that brought this up, how each, um, somebody was telling us about how each, uh, part of Mistborn, like there's, there's the central dominance and then there's this part off to the East and all these things were, based on like well these names are french ish and these mm-hmm. ones are kind of like uh middle eastern ish and these ones yeah. are english that that sort of thing um there wasn't that level of consistency with the names here uh and so you know how, like how do you pronounce rayodin is it rayodin is it rowden you know are, are we thinking like like taoists you know like okay. you know what i mean and so when i'm reading it i I seek that sort of consistency and, and, uh, and I missed it. Okay. That, that I can, I can agree with that. I think I actually love the names and I love Sanderson's names in his books. We, 
my wife and I are actually considering the, some of them as potential child names. Nice. Yes. Um, Dare I ask? <laughs> awesome. Vin. Vin is one that we. That's. Were trying to I, out I wanted that one. My wife wouldn't quite go for it. Uh, oh man. I can't get her to buy off on Kaladin. Uh, wow, that would be pretty <laughs> tough. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, we're it's a it's a under consideration. I actually like I love the names in here, but I totally understand what you're getting at with the inconsistency in in. Um, pronunciation of names because i i mean the only reason that i announce pronounce them the way i do is because that's what the audiobooks right did them as right and i think if i was reading through them like kyan i wouldn't call i wouldn't say kyan it would be kitten i just went with keen when i read it originally you know 10 mm-hmm. 15 years ago whatever it was yeah it was keen once once i kind of figured it out though and i get why he's saying it was supposed to be sarene or sereni sereni or whatever because it, every vowel, every vowel in the names gets its own some value, some value there. But what value is it? You know, you never yeah. know if it's a long or short. Anyway, that, we could go on this, this for a what, while. This is what happens when uh, I, one of you has a degree in linguistics <laughs> in, in the English language. What, Jeff? Well, I said, that is one of the things that I, I agree with both of you. I liked the names, but it was just difficult to know how to pronounce them. And I think it came from the fact that he actually has like a little. Um, on his website in the annotation section, which if you haven't done that for any of the books, this is the first one I did it on. He has like little annotations. Some of them are chapter by chapter. It's kind of like a director's commentary, right. except for an author, which is different. And it's interesting. But he had one about the names, and he did try to do what you were saying, Craig, where he based them on um, certain places, certain things like 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 Fjordel and that language was supposed to be somewhat Scandinavian. And, right. Um, and the, the thing, FJ. the difficulty that comes with the names that I had a problem with was. Um, like with all the the names in Aralon or yeah. however you say it, that are based on there Aeons, you go. Yeah. is that it, it, it requires an understanding of what the Aeons were, which was kind of an ambitious thing to do to come up with all these different characters, similar to, again, you know the, the Chinese characters that are used in Japanese. But as a reader going into it, you don't understand those things. So you don't know, oh, this part of the name is based on the Aeon. Um, so it's supposed to be pronounced this certain way, how the aeon is pronounced. But because we don't know what the aeons are or how they're pronounced, it doesn't inform us like it would someone who is actually part of that culture. So I thought it was really ambitious and really interesting when you go back and read about it and learn about it, like in the annotations. But as a reader, um, I think it kind of fell short a little bit. Yeah, um, totally derailing us for just a second. Is this, I don't remember, is this the book that has that? symmetry is like you can't be perfectly symmetrical in your name because it's i don't think or is that warbreaker so that's probably yeah that's warbreaker, warbreaker. Okay. No. um I, I think that's actually in storm in the stormlight no where they're like palindromes like or they're they're sh- just short of palindromes there's there's this it's not, uh, we'll get we'll there get we'll there. figure, we'll figure it, out it out later i don't think it's stormlight i'm pretty sure it's warbreaker now that i think about it well, uh, we're coming up on an hour. Uh, do you guys mind if uh, you know we do an extra ten or fifteen minutes on this episode? I'm I'm fine talking. You game? About uh, yeah. Normally we try yeah, to keep fine. it to an hour, but uh, there's a lot to talk about. And and I did want to bring up the tenth anniversary edition. Have you guys? Did you guys read the tenth anniversary edition this time? I Was there assume. mention of Hoyd? Yes. In your version. Yes, I think that's an addition. Um, I the the beggar scene I think was in there, but I think he went back and added that the beggar's name was Hoyd, and I need to go back and read the original. But um, but I guess 
<laughs> Which really threw me off with listening to it because there's the hoy, there's hoid, and there's the hoid. The hoid, yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, I, I was wondering, did you guys notice anything on this read through that tied it in with the Cosmere better? That was the only thing that I read that I was like, oh, he's just you know trying to to tie it in a little bit I better had, than it was. I had something that I wondered, yeah. um, and I wanted to bring it up. When you talk about the, what are those like warrior priests? Are they decor? The decor, decor. Mm-hmm. How they grow kind of like an exoskeleton. Uh, that sounds like um, you know something we've seen elsewhere. I was wondering if you guys thought that that might be connected, or do you even know what I'm talking about? I know what you're. I think I know what you're talking about. Oh no, is this a stormlight I mean, thing? Yes. Dang it! It's a stormlight. I don't think it would be too much of a spoiler to say even, but um, I think that you're probably they're probably connected in some way. Um, w- without spoiling too much of Stormlight stuff, but I think they, that that could be a connection because this is in the same universe. Um, I don't think they're the same mm-hmm. thing though. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, there was at one point I I read something that tied in. Dang, I can't just no because, no spoilers. Man, this is hard. Just because the way that the that it's that they're formed in Stormlight is not the way that they're formed in Elantris. That's true. Um, but. I was actually having it. It was the end of our last podcast. I was talking with Nick a little bit. And again, we're not, I'm not spoiling anything because I actually can't spoil anything with this, but apparently we've actually seen Galadon in another part of the Cosmere. What? No, no. (laughs) But Brandon Sanderson says, unless, unless I told you where it was, you wouldn't know it was him. Ah, jeez. So that's. Unless he literally said like, this is, yeah. Let's do it, Colo. (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty much, I, I, we just know that he says that we've we've seen him in another part of the Cosmere. And the thing is, with this being the first book that he wrote, um, I don't expect to see a lot of Cosmere tie-ins or a lot of moments right. there because there until was, he until the other stuff has been goes, written out and created. Well, and, and then and then until he goes and makes a tenth anniversary author's definitive edition. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, did you guys read the deleted scenes at the end? No, I don't think so. I hate deleted scenes. I got to tell you. I love deleted scenes. I, like when I watch a DVD or something, I'm like, yeah, there, it was, oh, uh, the DVD for UHF. <laughs> if you turn that on and go to the deleted scenes, there's a little intro by Weird Al who says, listen, I'm putting this in here because everybody expects them to be there, but they were cut for a reason. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I've always hated deleted scenes for that. Like, I don't I don't want to watch this. This wasn't part of the finished piece for a reason. Uh, you know, anyway. So I didn't actually Sometimes read. it depends. Sometimes it depends on what the reason is. Because I can understand there's some, especially with movies where, I, mean, I didn't, with this book, I didn't read them, so I don't know. But with some movies, there are some scenes that are really cool scenes and work really well on their own, but they were cut for time. pacing of the movie or, right. yeah, exactly, cut for time and. You know, and there's some that you watch, and I'm exactly with you. It's like, oh, yeah, this was cut for a reason. I understand. I'm glad it wasn't in the actual movie. What's but, his, um, Zack Snyder is, uh, is, is pushing hard on this, and it's annoying the crap out of me. He's like, no, my movie's awesome. Batman v Superman, it's awesome. You just you have to see the deleted scenes. And I'm like, no, <laughs> make a good movie. Mm-hmm. that's your job <laughs> yeah it's like maybe don't delete those scenes that make your movie so good like that's kind of antithetical to what you're trying to do right when you when your movie has to be three hours long and you have to release a director's edition to do it i think you've probably uh you probably missed your shot <laughs> uh the last thing that i would want to say on the uh the 10th anniversary edition 
uh, is that you can get, uh, well, I don't know if I haven't looked and seen if there's still uh, some available, but there's a Dragon Steel Entertainment, I want to say, made their own version of it. Um, they packaged it with some great illustrations, some of the original book covers from around the world, uh, and then they reprinted it. Yeah, Dragon Steel Entertainment. Uh, oh, and they, it. it's the leather bound the le- one, right? It's leather bound. It's printed with one of the Aeons on the front and the back. I can't remember which Aeon it is. Um, and then they, you know, they did the whole, like, highlighting certain things in blue during the print. You know, the chapter heading, or the chapters and the, the first word of every chapter is in blue. Uh, it's extremely attractive. Uh, I really like it. The margins. Do you have it? Yeah, I'm. I'm holding it right now. Um, oh, that's awesome! It's I've, pretty. I've seen ex- the pictures of it, like on his website and stuff. It looks awesome. But... Yeah, to watch. Yeah, if you go to brandonsanderson.com, you can watch his uh, website for when they're available, and it is. It's a gorgeous book. It really is. the The margins are not quite big enough. So if somebody from Dragon Steel is listening to this, give me another quarter inch on the side and another half inch on the bottom. It'll make it a lot more readable. Um, but, uh, but it is really, I'm serious. That's very specific. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's one of those things, you know, subconsciously as you're reading, it, some things make it easier and more difficult. Uh, but no, the, uh, the text size is great. The book itself sits very attractively on the shelf. Uh, if you have the money for it and I didn't, but I bought it anyway, I would definitely recommend it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a hundred bucks people. Yeah. It, it was, you have, if you're, de- if you're dedicated to the cause, it's, it's worth putting on there. <laughs> and, and Brandon has said that there will be other Cosmere books printed this way. They're working on, I think, Mistborn next. Oh man. So that one will also be on my shelf and I will, yeah, you know, Brandon my, my kids will go without food man. for that. It'll be sad when you look yeah, at your Brandon bookshelf. Sanderson is a man who really understands how to take money out of my pockets and have <laughs> me be happy about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, hey, it's uh, there you go, Brandon. That's capitalism. Thank you, thank you, right? Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's let's end. We're uh, several minutes over time now. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for hanging with us through this discussion of Elantris. If, you have, if there are things that we missed that you wish we had talked about, uh, head on to uh, Imzy and yell at us there, and we will kindly take your abuse because uh, we just love to know that you're listening um, and uh, and enjoying. So head to imzy.com slash legendarium. Also, of course, head to our website, thelegendariumpodcast.com, uh, where you can find all of our backlog uh, sorted by series, which I think is a pretty convenient way to do it. So if you want to see all the other Brandon Sanderson stuff, or if you want to check out our Lord of the Rings series or the Silmarillion series or the uh, the Belgariad stuff that we did, whatever. We've done a lot of stuff. So it's all sorted there for your pleasure. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, enjoy your week. We will see you the next uh, Cosmere book that we're doing is Warbreaker. And I know Ryan's excited for that. He yeah. loved Warbreaker. So, and I know you will too. So go crack Warbreaker and uh, we'll see you on the other side of that. Bye.